Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When I was in college, Peter Gomes was the pastor of Memorial Church, which is the big, beautiful red brick church right in the middle of Harvard Yard. Peter Gomes was a remarkable preacher, and more than that, he was a presence. Think of a shorter and rounder James Earl Jones with a voice to match. Peter Gomes's voice was deep and resonant, and it had an accent that was somewhere between Boston Brahmin and Oxford Don. Now, Memorial Church wasn't where I regularly went to church in college, but one year on Ash Wednesday, I decided to go to the Ash Wednesday service there. And as long as I live, I will never forget what it was like to stand before Peter Gomes and to hear him proclaim, as he put ashes on my forehead, Remember that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. I walked back to my pew with ash on my forehead and a deep, deep sense of my own mortality in my 21-year-old soul. Reckoning with our own mortality, facing the fact that we will die, is something that we all have to do. In fact, it's probably something we do in different ways multiple times in our lives, and it feels and looks a little bit different each time. But no matter what, it's always sobering to be confronted with the one thing that none of us has experienced and that none of us can avoid. Facing death can be a fearful thing. Today we are concluding our sermon series on living unafraid, and it seems fitting to do that by considering our fear of death. Now as Christians, as followers of a risen Savior, we believe that death is not, in fact, the end of life. But I think it would be naive to think that that belief means that none of us fears death. Because death is the thing that more than anything else brings us to the end of ourselves. We cannot know how or when we are going to die. And we cannot know what it will be like to die. In some ways, death is the ultimate mystery. And we are powerless in the face of it. So it's not surprising that death can prompt more than a little bit of fear in us. Now, just like with all of the fears that we've talked about in this series, the fear of change, of failure, of the other, of rejection, some amount of fear in the face of death is probably actually a pretty good thing. It can be what prompts us to develop healthy habits. It can keep us from doing too much stupid stuff. But... God's desire for his children is not that we live in fear, but in freedom. So how do we face death with freedom, with courage, and with grace? How do we live unafraid of death? 
I think our scriptures this morning, and especially our gospel reading, give us some important clues. But before we turn there, I think it's probably worth spelling out a little bit about what it is that, about death that we're afraid of. Because I actually think there are a few different aspects of it. First, I think for some of us, there's the fear of, well, what happens when we die? It's a fear of wondering what's next, or is there even a next? Will we just cease to exist? Or if we do exist after death, what's it going to be like? Who will be there? Will we be reunited with the people that we love? Whatever answers we have to those questions are of necessity a matter of faith and not experience, right? And so there is some level of unknownness to them. And for some of us, that unknownness can be scary. For some of us, it's not so much death that we are afraid of as it is dying of the process of our life coming to an end. Will it be sudden or will it be long? Will it be painful? Will we be a burden to others emotionally, physically, financially? Will we have to experience the indignities of losing control of our bodies, needing people to help us with the smallest of tasks? Will we be able to say goodbye to those we love, to mend broken relationships before we die? The fact that we cannot control any of that means that confronting the process of dying can make us face our own powerlessness, and that can be scary. So some of us fear death, some of us fear dying, and I think some of us fear grief. We fear the pain that we know we will fear when someone we love dies. Or we fear the pain that the people we love will feel when we die. Grief can be excruciating. And so we fear the thing that will bring that grief to us or to others. These fears are real. And they are weighty. They are heavy. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, face those fears in a way that acknowledges that they're there, but that keeps us from getting stuck in them? How do we live unafraid of death and dying and grief? I think the key might be found in kind of an unlikely place, which is the parable of the prodigal son. Now, this isn't a passage of scripture that we usually think of as really having to do with death. But I wonder if what it teaches us about God, about who God is and what he is like, if it might help dispel some of the fear that lingers for us around death and dying and grief. The parable, of course, is a story of two brothers and their father. The younger brother goes to his father and demands his inheritance. 
When you go to someone who is still alive and you ask for your inheritance from them, you are basically saying that that person is as good as dead to you. Because all you really want is their money. But that is what the younger son does. And though it has to be incredibly painful for the father, the father gives the son his money. And the son leaves. He leaves his family, he goes far away, and he lives lavishly and recklessly, and he spends his money on bad and insignificant things. But eventually, his money does what money tends to do when you spend it like that, which is it ran out, and the son becomes desperate. Because he's far away from home, there's a famine, there's, he has no money, he has no community to support him, and so he ends up taking a job feeding pigs. Now, remember that to Jews, pigs were unclean animals. So to take care of them was a disgraceful thing to have to do. And all this while, the older brother has been back at home with his father. He's been working on the farm. He has been everything you would want a son to be. He has been faithful. He has been loyal. He's been responsible. He's been hardworking. He's been everything his younger brother hasn't. But one day, off in that far country, the younger brother kind of wakes up. Jesus says he came to himself. We might say he'd hit rock bottom. And he looks around at his life and he sees just how low he's fallen. And he realizes that even his father's servants have a better life than he does right now. So he decides to go home. He makes up his mind that he will beg for his father's forgiveness and he will ask to work on his father's farm and be treated like a servant. So that's what he does. He heads home. And while the son is still a long way off, the father sees him. Which is the detail I love most about this parable. Because it means that the father has been actively looking for his son. And we don't know how long the son has been gone. It could have been months. It could have been years. It could have been decades. But no matter how long the son was away, his father never stopped looking for him. He never gave up hope. He never stopped loving his son, and he never stopped forgiving his son. Rather than waiting there at the house for the son to come to him, as soon as the father sees the son, he runs to him. And this is really remarkable, because in Jesus' day, grown men didn't run. It was not considered dignified. Men didn't run, and they definitely didn't run toward adult children who had thumbed their noses at them and told them that they were as good as dead to them. Men didn't run. But this man does. This father does. He doesn't wait for his son to get to him. He goes to his son. 
He goes to him, he embraces him, he kisses him, and before the son can even get through the speech that he's been rehearsing all the way home, the father declares a party and rejoices that the son that he had lost has been found. So what does all of that have to do with our fear of death? Well, I think that sometimes part of our fear of death is we worry that when we get to the end of our life, whatever that will be, that we will have regrets. We worry that we will feel like we have maybe squandered some or all of what we've been given. Maybe we are afraid that we will regret the things that we did or the things we didn't do. Maybe we'll regret how we spend our time, our energy, or our resources. We're afraid maybe that we'll regret that we never forgave the people who hurt us or never asked forgiveness of the people we hurt. Maybe we're afraid that a lot like this younger brother, we will reach the end of our lives filled with shame and disappointment. So what would it do to our fear of death if we read this parable as a picture of how God will receive us when we die? That far from having to beg for scraps of mercy from God, we find that God runs to meet us overjoyed that we are home with him. That no matter how we've lived, no matter what we've done or not done, that we are joyfully received as God's son, as God's daughter. Might God's prodigal love for us free us from some of the fear of death that comes from worrying that we will have squandered our lives. There's another way, too, that I think this parable can help us get free from our fear of death. And that is that it shows us that even death is not something we have to experience alone. See, I think we often feel like we will meet God on the other side of death. But that whatever the journey is from here to there, that it's one that we make by ourselves. We think of it like like death is an airport. And we trust that God will be there at the arrivals area, maybe even holding a sign with our name on it. But we've got to make that long slog from the plane through the terminal on our own. But this parable and so much of scripture shows us that that is not how it is. The father runs to the son and walks him home. God comes to us and walks us home with him. In John's Gospel, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going ahead of them to prepare a place for them, and then he will come back and take them there. Even in death, we will not be alone, because God will walk with us through it. It's interesting to me that in this parable, the message that the father has for the younger son 
that you are mine and that nothing you've done can change that, can change that you are mine and that I love you. It's interesting to me that that message to the younger son is basically the same message the father has for the older son. Because when the older son is out pouting that his good-for-nothing brother is being celebrated like royalty, while he himself has been responsible and good and hardworking day in and day out, what's the father say to him? He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. You are always with me. I am always with you. I share all of myself with you. And I think this is an important aspect of living unafraid of death. For those of us who might be a little more like the older brother than the younger one. Maybe we're not afraid that we will feel like we have squandered our lives when we get to the end of them. Maybe we've worked hard and we've been good, and so we think that we deserve a nice long life and an easy death and a pretty big celebration when we walk through those pearly gates. That might sound a little bit like a caricature, but I will admit that there's some of this older brother mentality in me when it comes to thinking about death. I saw it a number of years ago when I was diagnosed with melanoma. It was a week after my 32nd birthday. It turned out that we had caught the cancer early. It was stage one. I just had to have surgery, and that was all. But there was about 24 hours between when I got the diagnosis and when they staged the cancer, and I didn't know how bad it was. And it was a pretty scary 24 hours. And I remember thinking, if I die from this, If I die at 32 years old with so much of life that I still want to experience, if I die from this, I know I'm going to heaven. But I am going to be mad when I get there. God and I are going to have some words about this. I wonder, I wonder what it would have been like for me if at that time I could have heard God saying to me what the Father says in this parable. Daughter, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. You are always with me, and I am always with you. I am with you now in this diagnosis, in this fear, in this grief you're already feeling for everything you will miss if your life here on earth ends now. I am with you And all that is mine is already yours. All of my love. All of my peace. All of my comfort. All of my hope. It is already yours. Would that have taken away all of my fear as I waited to see how far the cancer had progressed? No, it wouldn't have. But I think that if I had been able to hear what I believe God was probably actually saying to me, then my anger at God, that life wasn't looking like it was going to turn out the way I wanted it to, I think that anger would have diminished. Because I would have been able to experience what was nonetheless true 
which was that I wasn't going to have to experience any of my feelings about this alone. That God was with me right there in my fear, in my anger, in my hurt, that I didn't have to wait until I got to heaven to experience the fullness of God's presence and God's love. God walks with us in life and in death. There is nowhere we can go that God is not. Each time we say the Nicene Creed, we profess our belief that Jesus died and was buried. When we say the Apostles' Creed, we declare that Jesus descended to the dead. Jesus died. Jesus descended to the dead so that even in death, God is there too. Even death cannot separate us from God's presence. As G.K. Chesterton once wrote, we have a God who knows the way out of the grave. Every week, we gather around this table to proclaim and celebrate that fact. We gather to remember that Jesus died with us and for us. We eat bread and we drink wine that are signs of Christ's death. And as our bodies and our spirits metabolize that bread and wine, that body and blood, God brings life out of them in us. Here at this table, we proclaim the mystery that Christ has died Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Christ's death is the first part of our proclamation, not the last. Life, Christ's life, our life in him, life is what has the last word. Death will probably always make us uncomfortable, even afraid to some extent. Because there is so much about death that we do not know. And we cannot control it. Our death, our dying, that of our loved ones. But the good news is that no matter what, God is with us in it and he will raise us out of it. God will not leave us. God will not forsake us, not even in the grave, because we have a God who knows the way out of the grave. Amen.